You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called The Age of Responsibility, CSR 2.0 and the New DNA of Business. Hanging greenwashing out to dry. While many of these examples, and I could cite countless more from the automotive, agricultural, chemical and other industries, represent little more than the familiar toxic mix of old-fashioned dirty lobby tactics, many companies today are engaged in far more subtle and seemingly plausible campaigns of misdirection, investing in environmental management systems, producing sustainability reports and performing supply chain audits. Each of these actions is, on its own merits, laudable and to be encouraged, applauded even. But all too often, they are used as a smokescreen to mask the more damaging impacts and irresponsible practices of business. Behind these actions lies a pervasive driver. According to the United Nations Global Compact and Accenture's 2010 CEO survey, three corporate attributes – brand, trust and reputation – were consistently cited by CEOs as their primary reason for acting on sustainability. Other drivers that were unrelated to PR were cited only half as much, namely the potential for revenue growth and cost reduction, cited by 44%, personnel motivation, 42%, consumer and customer demand, 39%, and employee engagement and retention, 31%. What's more, 48% of CEOs cited competing strategic priorities as a barrier to their sustainability efforts. As we saw in the BP case, Greenwash has become one of the more popular labels applied to PR-driven misdirection by companies on environmental issues. The word was coined by environmentalist David Bellamy in the 1980s and plays off of the concept of whitewashing literally painting over the cracks to cover up inherent faults. In 1999, the Oxford English Dictionary added the term, defining it as disinformation disseminated by an organisation so as to present an environmentally responsible public image. A public image of environmental responsibility promulgated by or for an organisation but perceived as being unfounded or intentionally misleading. Jose Lopez, Executive Vice President of Operations at Nestle, admits that, and I quote, there is probably out there an environment for pretenders, for the greenwashers. It's going to get harder and harder to tell apart the greenwasher from the real guy. The reason is we have a lot of information on what constitutes good sustainability practice. In other words, it's easier to copy apparently credible behavior. One classic example was an advertisement run by Shell, which has a picture of a factory with flowers coming out of the smokestacks and claiming, we use our waste carbon dioxide to grow flowers. There was a grain of truth in the claim. In the Netherlands, the company did capture carbon dioxide and use it in floral hothouses. However, since Shell only used 0.325% of its carbon dioxide this way, the Advertising Standards Authority banned the advertisement following complaints. As a result of this kind of greenwash, the UK's Committee on Advertising Practice Code, enforced by the Advertising Standards Authority, created a clause for environmental claims in 1995, 
Since 1998, it has also published a non-binding green claims code advising advertisers on how best to make good claims. Despite this, greenwashing complaints, the majority of which are upheld, continue to rise year on year. One rather fun yet informative publication is the Greenwash Guide by Futera. It lists 10 signs of greenwash, which include, first, fluffy language, words or terms with no clear meaning, such as eco-friendly. Second, green products versus a dirty company, such as efficient light bulbs made in a factory which pollutes rivers. Third, suggestive pictures, green images that indicate an unjustified green impact, such as flowers blooming from exhaust pipes. Fourth, irrelevant claims, emphasizing one tiny green attribute when everything else is ungreen. Fifth, best in class, declaring you are slightly greener than the rest, even if the rest are pretty terrible. Six, just not credible, eco-friendly cigarettes, anyone? Greening a dangerous product doesn't make it safe. Seven, gobbledygook, jargon and information that only a scientist could check or understand. Eight, imaginary friends, a label that looks like third-party endorsement, except it's made up. Nine, no proof. It could be right, but where is the evidence? And finally, ten, outright lying, total fabricated claims or data. Of course, this kind of misdirection does not only apply to environmental issues. After the launch of the UN Global Compact, companies started to be accused of blue wash, a reference to the blue United Nations logo, and businesses using association with the UN to appear more responsible than they really are. Likewise, although I haven't heard the term, I can imagine the red wash brush being applied to companies claiming social, community or labour responsibility that masks their real negative impacts on society. The Invisible Hand of Marketing It is not hard to see why a lot of the blame for misdirection gets laid on the marketing function in companies, especially corporate communications, advertising and public relations departments. A survey by the Institute of Business Ethics of 60 codes of ethics from a range of sectors and countries showed that 48% do not mention marketing or give any guidance to staff on what responsible, values-led marketing might be. The Marketing Society talks about the creation of customer-led demand in their definition of marketing, which is another way of saying artificially stimulated needs, or more often, wants or greeds. Examples of manipulation are not hard to come by. In 1990, Volvo ran a television advertisement that showed a monster truck driving over a line of cars. Only the Volvo escaped unscathed, and for good reason. All of the other cars had been sabotaged, and the Volvo had been reinforced. When the misrepresentation came to light, Volvo earned itself a $300,000 fine from the state of Texas and had to publish a corrective statement in the Wall Street Journal. In 2002, Sony Ericsson paid 60 actors to pose as fake tourists in New York and ask passers-by to help them to operate the new camera phone while they extolled its virtues and never disclosed their commercial relationship with the company. 
In another version, actresses were hired to generate interest in their phones by playing an interactive version of the game of battleships at either end of a bar. The scam was eventually exposed by the Wall Street Journal and the 60 Minutes television program. Actors were also hired by McDonald's in Japan, 1,000 of them, to pose as customers queuing outside a store for a newly launched burger. The idea was to create a contagion of interest and excitement, but once again, their link to the company was not revealed. This is now known as stealth marketing and is widely condemned as unethical and manipulative. Of course, it becomes more difficult to police in the age of YouTube, as a stealth advertisement by Australian brand Witchery showed. An actress posted a video claiming to be on a romantic quest to find a mystery man she met in a restaurant who left his jacket behind. Needless to say, the video generated a real buzz with over 200,000 hits before it was revealed as a viral marketing campaign to highlight the company's expansion of its clothing line previously only for women, to include men. It was all about the jacket and nothing to do with the fictitious romance. Clever? Sure. Misdirection? Absolutely. From misdirection to redirection. The age of marketing is summed up by a 2006 statement by Ben Ferweyen, who was CEO of the telecommunications giant BT at the time. He said... Until now, corporate social responsibility has been seen in many companies as something which has to be done, a box which needs to be ticked, in all too many cases, without much enthusiasm. This is a view echoed by editor Daniel Franklin in The Economist's World in 2009 yearbook. He says, Many companies pretend that their sustainability strategy runs deeper than it really does. It has become almost obligatory for executives to claim that CSR is connected to the core of corporate strategy or that it has become part of the DNA. In truth, even ardent advocates of sustainability struggle to identify more than a handful of examples. More often, the activities that go under the sustainability banner are a hodgepodge of pet projects, at best tenuously related to the core business. What we need, therefore, is less misdirection and more redirection towards genuine corporate sustainability and responsibility. A step in the right direction is the adoption of strategic CSR, although, as we have seen from BP's example, this can also be manipulated as a form of promotional CSR. It is, therefore, to the age of management that we now turn our attention.